We're in the middle of a series called I Am His, and this week and next week are, I don't want to say that they're, just, they're, they're soul-touching, and I think what I'm going to share tonight and what I'll share next week are definitely um, some elements that maybe we haven't looked at in our own lives. By the way, if you need some fill-ins, we've got some sheets. Just raise your hand if you need a fill-in or a pen, and we'll get that to you quickly. In uh, Isaiah, it said, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Have you ever felt like God was shaping your life? The greater question is that is, is not that God is shaping your life, but it's sometimes uncomfortable. When he's applying pressure and you feel like you're spinning, have you ever just felt like life is spinning? <laughs> and usually when the clay is on a potter's wheel, the potter is spinning the clay because that spinning action is shaping, shaping what he desires it to be. And so if you've ever had that, that thought, it just sometimes seems like a whirlwind. It just seems like there's a lot going on that I don't necessarily think that God is part of every trial that we have, but I certainly know that he uses the things in this world and in our life to shape us. Your first feeling, whether you realize it or not, God is, is actively at work in you. And there's many times that I don't realize that God's at work in me, but then there are some times that I realize that I don't like that about me, and I know that God doesn't necessarily like that about me, and he's shaping it. God is so committed to making us his that there's not a day that he's not designing. I like that Michelle said, I always like to say design. That's like my new thing. I want to I want maybe write a book one day on designed, that he's designing us. But what is he designing us for? That he is designing every single one of us to spend eternity with him. God designed us. This is very, this is very significant for tonight. And I'm going to go quick, but I'm going to be a little bit on the serious side. But God designed us to belong. To him. I try not to jump ahead. The world is looking for belonging in any way that they can. It really is, and, and none of us, no one in this room can say, well, I've always sought the Lord for everything. I've always sought fully and, and wholeheartedly after him because we've all had a place in life and in, in our growth walk that we were going after something that wasn't of him that we were chasing after something that wasn't his design, but he's always reshaping and moving and molding us to a place where we're belong, where we belong to him. Most deficits, this is, this is good, most deficits in our life are from searching for belonging that's, out of, that's outside of who God is. And I don't think that there's, a, there's an age limit or a starting point that, that each one of us are the, are the world. I mean, if you just get on any type of social media, let me just take this for example. Most social medias, whether it's Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, has one theme, and that's me. <laughs> that it's a steady flow and a constant promotion and a world surrounded by <laughs> and influenced by me. 
And I'm not, I'm not against that. I have many of those platforms. But if you look at, so the question is, Jonathan, what in the world is going on with people that have a, just a constant parade of who they are? And I, and I believe that it's a search for significance. This is, this is really interesting. Robin Williams, and, and, and unfortunately Robin Williams took his life, but he said this before he passed, that people say the worst thing is to be alone. And a man who had it all in money, he said, no, the worst thing is to be with people that make you feel alone. That a man who seemingly had the world couldn't go anywhere without being recognized, couldn't, couldn't step, step into a restaurant without somebody saying, I know you, I know your movies, you've made me laugh, that, that this man, and I, and I hope and I pray that he was a believer, I, I just have a feeling that the Lord reached him some way, somehow, but this man said, the worst thing is not being alone. The worst thing is being in a room full of people and feeling like you don't count. You don't have significance. That we all have a deep desire, and here's what it boils down to, is that everyone has a deep desire of significance. If you don't think that, go work in the preschool class for a Sunday and a half. Because somebody will be coloring on their picture. Oh, that's a good picture. And what will the little girl or the little boy say next to him? Look at mine. And, of course, if you're a good teacher, you're like, oh, that's good too. If you're a rotten teacher, you just shove it off the table. No, don't do that. (laughs) But everyone has an inner need for significance that we all have a great desire or a deep desire to be a part to be a part of something and I think that's why you know you wonder why in the world would people become part of MS13 I think that's the name of it why would they become a part of violent gangs why would uh, why would people become a part of something that is detrimental to them and not because they're looking for something that's dangerous they're looking for something that they can be a part of something that gives an, a significance to who they are and if even if it's at the cost of of harm that they'll be a part of it can I can I take it deeper is that we have uh, many Unfortunately, our society has not placed a, a, a value upon on a home. And I'm not talking about like a home where, you know, you have a bedrooms and living rooms and kitchen. No, I'm talking about where, where people, people get married on purpose, where people uh, commit to each other, where people commit to to developing a family, that people would have like a Joshua purpose about them. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we've seen more and more in our society that people have taken the importance of just marriage. And I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm not on a marriage kick. I'm just saying that they've taken the significance of marriage and devalued it to that we'll just live together. You know, we'll have kids, we'll act like a family, but but we won't make that ultimate commitment. And, and let me say this, because I don't, I don't know what people think when they, get, when they make that decision or they go to those, to those lengths. But I, I have a feeling, and I can probably speak for women, and maybe, ladies, you can correct me after the service. But there is a sense that why won't he commit to me in marriage? And, and it spills over into children that are born outside of a marriage covenant 
And the Bible's clear. I'm not telling you anything that is, you know, weird voodoo theology. I, I think the Lord was very clear about the marriage covenant. But what happens with women, and, and I'm going to go somewhere with this, who, with women that aren't seen as valuable enough for a guy to get down on his knee? I know you got ladies, tell me if I'm wrong, but... There's some awesome significance to that. And let me take it a step further because this is what I deal with all day, every day is, is, is teenagers, but teenagers that come from a, a family that's whole. And I'm not talking about perfect. I'm talking about a family that's attempting to come together in commitment. So my point is not you know, living together. My, that's not my point. My point is that we've had a breakdown of people committing to each other and people committing to the to the Lord. And can I take it this next step? And, and I'm trying to, I'm going to keep this a rated G service as best I can. Many, can I say it this way? Because I don't, many of the brokenness, misguidedness, Uns, I'm not quite, let me just, let me just, let me just peel the band-aid off. That many of the people that deal with a, with a sexual perversion or a sexual uh, misidentity are dealing with that out of a root of being rejected. And, and, and dealing with that root, and I know that I, I know that I've just, you know, like taken an open source and poured alcohol in it. I'm like, that stings, man, Jonathan. And I feel for that. That that in this series is called I Am His. And and people have are dealing with a sense of rejection and longing to be a part. Longing to be significant. Can I say it this way? That they will go to great, great lengths to find significance. So without me going any more, more deeply into that, I know that, that you know, I've got to keep this a real, real bare minimum in, 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 a, in a student service. But God wants to pour into us real belonging and here's the key, that only can come from him. Every single person, and I can say this with great certainty, that has ever laid foot upon this planet is in search of and has a longing for real security. And that real security can only come through him. Romans 8.15 says, For we have not received a spirit of slavery... Leading to fear again, but but we have received a spirit of adoption. Can I full stop right there? And if there is anything that the enemy has waged a war upon people and and even specifically God's people, that he has waged a war by trying to infiltrate into our spirit and make us operate like we are orphans. Orphans are without parents. 
And this says in Romans that we don't have an orphan spirit. But we have a spirit of adoption, and it goes on to say, by which we cry. And you can translate that, Daddy, that there is a longing on the inside of every single one of us to respond to God in a way, not just Holy Father, great God in heaven, the man upstairs, that there is a longing inside of us to respond to him as Daddy. There is a space in every single person to belong. And I, and I say this with, with, with great humility. That many of the struggles, and I'm speaking broadly at the moment. That many of the struggles that people deal with is that they have stepped over that space that God designs to fill. The world will say that you can find it in yourself. These people, and and social media is just, you know, a great platform to people to tweet and and to Instagram and to all kinds of saying that they are finding themselves. Can I let you in on something? I have found myself, and I am greatly disappointed. And the truth is, the people out there that that claim that they have found themselves and they found this great revelation of who they are and who they're becoming, they're disappointed too. Because no one can be satisfied outside of of a longing that is filled by belonging to God. The world will act like they don't need God, what God has to offer. I do, it would be like somebody walking in here today and having like this cart of ice cream. And in, the ice, in that cart of ice cream is all kinds of ice cream. And people say, who wants ice cream? Me! <laughs> Without a shadow of a doubt, I would be the first person pushing people out of the way, stepping on little kids' heads to get to ice cream. <clears throat> <laughs> but so many, so many people will take their need for God and say, I really don't need it. I want it. I don't have any use for it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? The sad reality is that the only thing that will satisfy who we are is the reality that we belong to the King eternal. That they're, they're, Can I say it this way? There's no other satisfaction that can come other than that reality and that revelation. The enemy wants us to think that we are in and of ourselves. And we try to impress other people and impress ourselves. I've already told you. I've looked in the mirror and I'm (laughs) not impressed. I, for God's sake, smell your breath in the morning, and you won't be impressed either. <laughs> you still have to put deodorant on, take a shower, not in that order. Take a shower, then put deodorant on. <laughs> that we have re- reached a place where great inner disappointment, thinking that we have what we need. Can I, can I say that this even Even people that call themselves believers have sometimes reached a place where they have realized, they say, I have what I need. We were never designed, never designed to be fully satisfied with who we are. Not in that way. 
to just saying that I have arrived, I have enough, I need nothing else that the Lord has to offer. I love this in Acts. It says, in we live and move and we have our being. We are his offering, his offspring. Nothing we have is because of us. Nothing. Nothing. You know, it would, it does me good. I don't know about you, but it does me good just to sometimes just to look at Jonathan Ray Moore and say, you are nothing without God. That you have nothing that he didn't, that he didn't give you. That we don't even own the breath we breathe. If you think if you think you do, show me your receipt for buying the air that you're sucking in right now. And if you can produce a receipt that says, here, I bought the air that I'm breathing in right now, and I'm going to buy some more tomorrow, then I might change my mind. But the truth is, what we're sucking in right now doesn't even belong to us, but is a gift from him that we don't even own the heartbeats that are within us. I didn't get up this morning. You didn't get up this morning. And we'll have a little crank thing on the side and crank up our heart for the day. Better give it enough turns just in case we get toward, you know, sixth period. And we're like, oh. Even though you feel like that after lunch. Anybody else after lunch? You're just like, we should have like Mexico. Nap time after lunch. Siesta. Absolutely. Anybody else agree? Nobody else has agreed. Yes. I have realized what I have become. Justin, praise the Lord. I have realized what I've become. <laughs> he held his hands like this. I have realized that I like to sleep, eat, I like to take naps, eat snacks, and read. So basically, I'm ready to be a kindergartner full time. <laughs> that everything we have on a moment by moment basis is because and belongs to God. You know, there's a sense of freedom freedom that comes when we realize there is nothing I own. There is nothing I have. There is nothing that I'm going to have that isn't that isn't become of, because of him. And the people that st- stand out there and say, I'm, I don't care. Here's the thing. The, the more that people say, I don't care about the Lord or I don't care about what, the more they really do care. That they really do realize the emptiness that's within them. But not you. Not me. Because we can say with boldness, I'm his. Let me read you the story. Has anybody ever heard about the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well? Anybody heard about the woman at the well? Nobody. Well, good, because I'm going to read it to you. <laughs> Everybody's looked at me like, woman at the who? Woman at the well. <laughs> Eventually, Jesus came to, Samarit- to a Samaritan vi- village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside a well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus asked her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy food. I'm sure that if it wasn't Sunday, they were going to Chick-fil-A. 
I believe Jesus eats Chick-fil-A. Let me just tell you that right now. And I know that Jesus eats Chick-fil-A, and he dips it all in Chick-fil-A sauce, Taylor Sheldon. Here's, here's Taylor's famous last words. Here, Taylor, try this Chick-fil-A sauce. No. Have you ever tried it? No. <laughs> you have never tried it. Now, you're going to come down here and you're going to repent before the Lord because you have never tried Chick-fil-A sauce, but you vow you don't like it. Who doesn't like Chick-fil-A sauce? I mean, just don't. Re- you, need Je- you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Melinda? Bill, minister to your wife. She. <laughs> oh, let me check Chick-fil-A sauce. When you put the waffle fries in Chick-fil-A, there's a reason I'm this big. All right. <laughs> Soon. <laughs> he was alone because the disciples had gone to the village to buy Chick-fil-A. The woman was surprised for the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? I'm sure she had a little bit of attitude. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God and who it was that said speaking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. How many times has that been said of you guys? I ain't got no rope, got no bucket. The well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? She's trying. Bless her heart. She's trying. She's like, dude, you got living water? How are you going to fish it out? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But Jesus said, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them. He's, he's telling this woman something she's never heard. And giving them eternal life. Well, he sparked something inside of her because look what she says next. Please, sir. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like getting one of those big old honking 1,700-ounce drinks from QT that you get the free refill for 13 years on. Yeah, I'll take that. I'm going to fill it up every single morning. <laughs> you know those people that have those big old honking drinks? Like, you must be... I have to go TT every 30 seconds. Well, this woman, she's like, I-, I need some help. Please, sir, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again. Something's, something's ticking on the inside of her, and I won't have to come here to get water. Next verse. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Now, if you look at that, you, well, you, if some of you that have heard this story, you might be thinking, what? And some of you heard this story like, mm, he's about to hit something. But watch what happens. Something happens. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, now in looking at that, now, my niece Sarah Back in the day when something was said that she wasn't quite kosher with, she would go, mm, rude. <laughs> Have you ever heard that, rude? You might be thinking that Jesus tells this woman, you haven't had five, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're with now, 
he's not even your husband. You know, anybody sitting around listening to Jesus and this Samaritan woman got <clears throat> rude. But watch what happens. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. <laughs> Either that or he's stalking you. <laughs> so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship? Now, wait, wait, wait. Jesus is talking about how many times she's been married and that she says, I believe you're a prophet. And then she goes into worship. Watch what's happening. Something's moving. Something's shifting on the inside of her. I lost my place. Oh, here it is. I'm sorry. While we Samaritans claim to be here in Mount, hard word, where our ancestors worship, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it, is no, when it will no longer matter where you worship the Father, on this mountain or in Jerusalem. And, and he's saying something very, very deep, profound right here. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes from the Jews. Watch what he says right here. But the time is coming, and indeed is here now. He's speaking specifically, not about a moment in time. He's speaking specifically to her moment in time. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father, I'm not going to have time to expound on this, just, just stay with me. I want to go back to something in a second. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit. He's continuing to teach her. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman left her water jars beside the well, and ran back to the village telling everybody, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Now, before we wrap this up, I want you to notice something, because many times that I have read or heard this story, we think that there is a tinge of shame in what Jesus says to this woman, this Samaritan woman at the well. And can I let you know, because the Word of God is very specific, that there is zero condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He was not speaking to her shame, but something more deeply than that. The Samaritan woman, watch this, expected to be rejected by Jesus since he was a Jew, if you remember how he, she started out, and she was a woman. So he, on, she, on the, on the get-go, tells him, I'm a woman and a Samaritan, and you're a Jew. Why would you ask me for a drink of water? She was expecting, have you ever known somebody that uh, just met somebody else and they already have attitude? You're like, where did that come from? Well, they just didn't decide that person over there. They, many times they have attitude from the onset or at a short, over a short period of time because of an experience they've had. 
So when, let me, let me, before I jump ahead, the woman then tapped into something when, when Jesus tells her about that she's had five husbands and the one she's living with now is not her husband, something ignited on the inside of her. Can I say it this way? The rejection that she was expecting got tipped over. And she, because she said, she said to Jesus, our father Jacob. She aligned herself with a Jew and a man and spiritual connection immediately upon, upon him saying, you've had five husbands and the one you're with right now is not your husband. What happened? Jesus then does what is illegal at that time, and he teaches a woman. It was illegal to teach women. Now, watch something right here as I wrap this up, and by the, by the Holy Spirit, we're going to put a big old pretty bow on the top of it. Do you remember the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus fed 5,000. And if you read in the Bible, that says there were 5,000 men. And the feeding of the 4,000, it says there were 4,000 men. But if you, go, if you go back and read those, it says it was 5,000 men and women. 5,000 men, but there were also women. In that day, women were subhuman, were treated as less than. As a matter of fact, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have been, what do you call it? They wouldn't have been recognized to be part of a crowd. Jesus, in his gospels, in his gospels, recognizes them as part of the crowd. And then in this story, Jesus breaks every rule of the time and speaks, makes a request, and then teaches a woman. What's he doing? Jesus was acknowledging, here's what happened. Jesus is acknowledging that she was of great Great value. Remember, I didn't read it, but the disciples come back and they're like, <gasps> I mean, they, they drop their Chick-fil-A. I mean, waffle fries spilling out everywhere. Why? I didn't read it, but when they came back, they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he says, I'm teaching this woman. Like, she's a woman, Samaritan, we're Jews. Back away, Jesus. Slowly back away from the woman. Somebody pick up the Chick-fil-A sauce, Polynesian sauce, throw that. One thing to do with Polynesian sauce, throw it away. <laughs> if y'all seen that meme, there's only one way to drink unsweetened tea, pour it down the drain. <laughs> pour it down the drain. <laughs> I'm sorry, all you unsweet tea drinkers. Lord help you. <laughs> what was happening? Jesus was not, he was not making a cool woman at the well story, even though it's cool. Jesus 
with laser accuracy pinpoints her rejection. When Jesus told her to go call her husband, he was speaking not as some guy that knew it all and was a prophet. He was speaking directly to her rejection. This title of this series is I Am His, I Belong. Jesus, in one encounter, obliterates the rejection this woman had been lived under for years. Why? When Jesus, that because in that day, your next fill-in, women could not divorce men. And this woman had been rejected by some other guy five times. Five times somebody had put her away. She couldn't divorce a man. It had to be the other way around. And, and can, I can I take it further? And the one that she was with now was rejecting her once more because he would not marry her. Have you ever known people like that? That they just, they just, they, they don't want to, they don't want to commit. They don't want to, they don't want to go buy a ring. They don't want to, they don't want to go invest in a home. They don't want to get a better job. They don't want to stop playing video games 24 hours a day. They don't. Because it would, you know, they don't want to propose. Because if they proposed, it would mean they'd have to grow up. <laughs> I'm speaking in generalities, nobody specific. And the guy that she is with right now is rejecting her on the spot because he won't be man enough to ask her to marry him. Taylor, if you'll come on down. I meant you to have you come down like <laughs> four lines ago. I love Bill Johnson says this next thing. This is so powerful right here. Watch this. This wasn't a shame moment. Because if you think about that, that he told this woman everything about her, that she had to have her soul unpacked before the Lord, and it wasn't a shame moment, but it was a father-daughter moment. Next week, I'm going to talk about why Jesus came and how he came. And right here, are, are you listening to me? That God was so committed to show her belonging. That Jesus shows up next to a well to tell her, you belong to me. That he was so committed to wiping out. And, and remember how I started this, that most people that deal with insecurity with uncertainty, with misguided tendencies, with, with unnatural things are always birthed out of rejection. And Jesus proves in one story that he is ready to remove the sting and the stigma of every single bit of re rejection. Jesus broke the shame of rejection to show her that she belonged to a father and that he was deeply in love with her. That God 
I, I don't want to jump ahead to next week. Jesus said, I don't do anything that I don't hear my father say. And, and his father, Bradley, come here real quick. You're going to be Jesus for a minute. Y'all give it up for Bradley. He's going to be Jesus for two seconds here. Stand right here, Jesus. <laughs> you ironed your shirt. You're a, you're a smooth Jesus. Jesus is looking for what his purpose is to be for that day. And God is whispering in his ear with, with the Father's sight on that woman. Because the Father was so committed, he's like, I, I want her to know that she belongs. I want, I want the years of rejection and pain and unworthiness and everything that went with it. You're going to minister. And as a matter of fact, I want you to tell her. Remember, Jesus said, I don't do anything. He said, I want you to tell her. Remember, he operated in the same senses that we did, uh, fully, fully persuaded by the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to show you. Just trust me, and we can argue with me later if you want. He had to operate in the, because if he, if he didn't, then we can't either. And so when he's operating in the influence of the Spirit, he says, she's had five times that some stinking man has rejected her. And it's messed her up. And she's, she keeps on repeat. He said, Jesus, she's repeating the cycle with the one she's with right now because he's not worth anything either. Y'all give it up for Bradley. And in a moment, snapped the shame off her life. What is she? she ran to a city and said, come and see a man. And I'm going to say this loud and clear that we need, <laughs> we need more believers saying, come and see a man worth seeing. Because I'm so tired of men not being men. Well, I want to sit here in my easy chair and watch 17 hours of TV. And you... Are you going to be a father? Well, maybe next week. And I don't even know where I was going with that. And broke through your last villain. I know you're waiting for it. In one moment, Jesus broke through years of rejection to reveal the freedom. I told you Michelle would be in there, that she was designed to live in. Now, watch, watch this real quick. She wasn't designed for rejection. Can I take it a step further? You were never designed for rejection either. She wasn't designed for shame. She wasn't designed for to be used. She wasn't designed to feel, be felt insignificant. She was designed to live in freedom. And the maker of it all made his way into one moment through his son to declare in front of her, you belong to me. And this woman takes off running, shouting, I'm his. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment as we close out. I want to pray over you tonight. 
I speak right now, God, over every seed of rejection. Every seed of uncertainty. Every seed of unworthiness. Every seed of not feeling adequate. And not me, God. You. You ministering value and worth and belonging and acceptance and joy and fulfillment and rest. There's someone in here tonight, just by the unctioning of the Holy Spirit, that you do not sleep at night because you don't feel like you are worthy. That you have such a low image of yourself that it keeps you up at night. And I declare over you right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that was on Jesus of Nazareth, who went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. The same Holy Spirit, I pray over you right now that every seed of rejection, every seed of unworthiness, Every seed of shame is been bro- is breaking over you right now with one word from the Father that declares over you, you belong. In Jesus' name, amen.